It's Tuesday, January 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Dave Meyer. Gentlemen, happy happy Tuesday. Happy snow day. Yeah, snow day, soon right. enough. Snow day. How was the long weekend? Do anything crazy? Uh, well, I watched I watched some football. Right, you watched the Patriots lose, which well, was just you know fantastic. I was actually I was out at a we had to go to a party, uh, so we didn't see a lot of the Patriots game, but we did see the Seattle San Franny game, which mm-hmm. while the first half was kind of a snoozer, the second half, man, that thing that second that, half that lit up I'm, deep side. I'm, I'm in depression about uh, my, my 49ers. Oh, that's loss. right, really? I didn't realize. Right. Yeah. Ah, tough. Thanks for bringing it up. Tough, yeah. No so, okay, so you you obviously you have to have at least an opinion on Sherman, right? Right. Uh, you know, I will say, guy's a passionate player. Yeah. Yes, can't deny that. Um, yeah, and you know these guys get paid a lot of money, and you know what? Frankly, to the winner, Victor, go the spoils. Okay. We 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 all know if, if if the shoe was on the other foot, there would be there's there's a good chance somebody in the 49ers would be uh, talking about it. It's true. It's very more true. than likely. Well, luckily we have a Sherman themed uh, show today. I want you guys <laughs> to deliver all your investing advice like he did with his post game interview, <laughs> and I'll just be off to the side like Aaron Andrews, just shocked and appalled. Uh, lots to get to today besides football. Uh, let's kick things off with some earnings news from Verizon. The company beat on earnings and revenue, but wireline revenue dropped, postpaid wireless subscribers dropped, the number of new Fios video customers dropped. Was this a good quarter or a bad quarter for Verizon? <laughs> well, it depends on how you uh, how you look at it. I think uh, you know it's a big company, mm-hmm. and so you know one of those businesses is probably a little old. <laughs> <laughs> True, but you know not uh, not signing up. Uh, as many Fios customers, not exactly good, but pretty consistent with trends that we're seeing across uh, across cable. Um, right. There's a lot of people cutting that cord. Um, I will say I love my Fios, so not not getting ready to cut that just yet. All yeah, right. I'd say the same thing. We have Fios. I mean, I know it's not available to everyone, but I, I, you know, I I guess we're a little bit spoiled in. I mean, it's obviously cheaper than it sounds like what Comcast offers. I mean, I've heard these stories of, of bills that Comcast sends every month that are, you know, <laughs> a, a substantially more than what I pay and I would assume what you pay. As a Comcast um, subscriber, I, I think I might agree with that. I, mean, I, I think uh, it's, I, I know they're kind of not focusing on rolling out Fios in as many places because it's so capital intensive to do that, to go yeah. lay all that wire. But uh, man, I bet you if they did it, they'd bring a lot of customers on board yeah well they're not going to stop yeah. you know but they're going to keep selectively rolling it out well that's the question is is verizon's future in phones or is it in fios I, they they bought out vodafone stake of their joint venture which is all about wireless yep. but today they announced they closed the deal with intel to buy their media and tv service which ties in nicely to fios yeah so it's really all about data okay it? yeah i mean yeah. i will say um you know and it's about the internet, mm-hmm. right? Getting getting people you to buy their data from Verizon, you know, buy their the movement of their data from Verizon, right? Um, and FiOS is the same, uh, you know, is the same way. And the and the and the recent acquisition of Intel Media is um, more of bringing TV shows to the internet mm-hmm. it's about streaming you yeah. know where's the you know where's the puck going mm-hmm. uh, you know the puck is definitely moving away from from phones and it's about getting content to a wide variety of devices mm-hmm. not just the uh, you know not just the pipe going into your TV are you buying Verizon today as a TV company as I, a as a data company I suppose you know 
I would say yes. Hmm. Um, and the reason I would say yes is I think they're actually doing a really good job of remaking themselves. What they have that no other button that few people have mm-hmm. is a, ne- a huge network, right. you know, and through the wireless uh, realm, they have, you know, access to the last mile, if you will. Right. And then they're slowly getting more to pipes into people's houses for for uh, Fios and for for Internet connectivity. So yeah, I think the answer is yes. And they just keep, you know, progressing along ever so slowly. I think if you're looking for an income generator, Verizon's a good a good company to do that with. Yeah, I think they're proving that. I mean, we've we've said for the longest time content is king and and it really is. I mean, in many cases uh but you know Verizon I think is also exposing and certainly this this whole uh, debate over net neutrality is exposing that that you know, the access to that content, how you get that content is pretty friggin' kingly, too. I mean, <laughs> and when you have the infrastructure to deliver that, mm. uh, that really makes you a genuine threat to all parties involved because you 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 have a little bit more say-so in the matter. And especially as, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, the, the content gets more dense. And here's what I mean. Um, you know, ultra-high definition video, that's on its way. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people... Besides Verizon and AT and T, have the the the, the reach uh, or Comcast have the reach and the ability to upgrade a network to to handle that demand that's likely going to increase over the next five years. Right. Um, it's it's going to be very interesting to watch the uh, the the content versus distribution battle mm-hmm. um, uh, play out right in front of us. Absolutely. Uh, in other earnings news, Johnson and Johnson reported some pretty good numbers. The best number was the nearly 11% year-over-year increase in pharmaceutical sales. Uh, Johnson Johnson's looking, sitting pretty today. Are you selling off on Johnson Johnson? Because they've been flat for a while now, right, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea that they are steering the business more towards the pharmaceutical side. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the, the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical sector or the segment of this business, it's, it's responsible for about uh, half of the company's operating profit. So it is, it is a very important and profitable part of the business. And I think most people, when you say Johnson & Johnson, you're thinking like, you know, Baby shampoo yeah. or yeah, something like that, yeah. band-aids or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but really, their money is made in, in the pharmaceuticals. And you know, we talked about this last quarter, but Johnson Johnson is obviously a, a tremendous company, a long history of, of really uh, some outstanding brands, and, and uh, you know, probably in every consumer's home yeah. to some extent. Uh, but you know, when I look at the company, I mean, number one, their guidance that they offered. The expectations were somewhere in the neighborhood of five dollars and eighty-five cents per share. Now Johnson and Johnson sort of updated their their guidance to be somewhere in a range of five seventy-five to five eighty-five, which is mm-hmm. why I think you're maybe seeing the stock sell off a little bit today because there's, you know, maybe not quite meeting that that expectations game. But right. uh, the stock today at, at full full year forward estimates is about sixteen times. And I was saying this last quarter. I mean, it's a solid company, great great sort of stable. Uh, portfolio holding there with closing in on three percent yield, but I, I can't help but think that some of that st- some of that share price is due to uh, people chasing that yield. I mean, mm. we've been in this extremely low interest rate environment for a long time now, and we're seeing a lot of dividend stocks, particularly the, the real quality blue chip names, uh, are being bid up because you know investors are looking for that yield, and I think the Johnson Johnson share price reflects that a little bit. Uh, so I like the company. I, I really. I really think that uh, you know it's not going anywhere, but it's still not a screaming buy today in, in my mind. I think you'd have to really see 
uh, the bottom fall out here before I'd become interested in buying shares. Well, then my my next question would be: I'm a, I'm a consumer goods guy. I'm not a healthcare pharmaceuticals guy. All I really know about the pharma- pharmaceutical sector is that there's something called a patent cliff, either <laughs> approaching or upon us. And if so much of Johnson and Johnson uh, depends on pharmaceuticals, does that at all worry you? I mean, I think it definitely is something to be concerned with. I mean, anytime you have a business that's levered to the success of one or just a small group of drugs, number one, you know, you're you're levered to the success of that drug. But then, number two, you are uh, you are going to have to keep in mind that there at at a time there at a point in time a patent will will come off and and generics will become uh, uh, more uh, you know. A bigger play, mm. um, and so I, I think that any pharmaceutical is is really going to be um, exposed to that. Now Johnson and Johnson, what their overall exposure is to something like that, I don't know, right. um, but it's certainly certainly something to uh, keep in mind. One thing they do have, though, is a lot of capital. Mm. Um, they do have money and a lot of connections. Mm. So what a you know, yes, it is um, the, the 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 patent cliff is is a real phenomenon, mm-hmm. but you address that by um, having you know lots of stuff in your pipeline, as well as you're investing in other companies to sort of create this portfolio of of opportunities as well. And one of the things that Johnson Johnson does does do pretty well is is make those investments. Absolutely, and they can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Jason, you mentioned uh, something about guidance as we were talking about Johnson & Johnson. And hey, that ties in so well with a reader question we got hey, earlier this week. Imagine that. Oh, crazy. Uh, the question comes from Ryan in Stony Creek, Ontario, probably the only place it's colder and snowier <laughs> than it is here today. Uh, he says, hi, guys. What does the term lowered guidance mean? And that's a that's a kind of nuts and bolts question, but it's a very fair question because as we've seen, guidance, uh, stocks can move just on guidance alone. Yes. Uh, so what does lowered guidance mean to you guys? So uh, to start back at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, you know, the analysts are out there doing their best to make an estimate of what they think a company is going to generate in terms of sales, in terms of earnings per share. Mm-hmm. And um, companies are helping those analysts by you know, giving out bits and pieces of information so they can help build their models. And sometimes when a company... Um, reports earnings, they will say, hey, you know, we thought we were going to generate this much sales and earnings per share in the third quarter, but we're actually lowering our guidance for the third quarter to X and Y. Right. So that's where the term comes from. The company has decided, you know what, we've, we've gone, we've, we, we've seen where our business is going and it's not as good as as we thought, mm-hmm. and we're just updating investors about that. How much faith do you guys put into lower guidance? Because there's always the theory that a company could lower its guidance and just blow it out of the water <laughs> later on, a la Apple. Just keep guidance low and just destroy the numbers later. Well, I think there are a couple of really good examples here. We we certainly have just been living one of them uh, with SodaStream, right? I mean, SodaStream uh-huh. is a company that's in a few services here at The Fool, and they you know they kind of got out in front of the bus here before their actual earnings come out and they they came out and lowered guidance they said look we you know the holiday quarter wasn't as is good as we thought it would be you know we're going to be a little bit lower on the sales numbers even more lower or even lower on the uh, on the on the profitability side um, and the stock got hammered due to that now 
you know, it's Ryan, right? You said his name was Ryan. Yes. Ryan, Ryan from Stony Creek. You can be forgiven if you're wondering, wow, how can these people predict with any precision how much money they're going to make in a given quarter or year? And, and I, you know, I think that is a, a good question. We all kind of look at that and we take it with a grain of salt because, number one, I mean, I don't know that we really focus uh, all that much on whether they actually – you know, nail that guidance or not. We were focused more on the longer term fundamentals of the businesses. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when, when companies get out there and lower guidance like this, it's not every time, okay? It's not just a blanket statement, but many times uh, it can actually uh, provide some great opportunities, hmm. great buying opportunities to get shares of your favorite companies, uh, you know, on the cheap thanks to just the market's general overreaction. I mean, lowered guidance is a good headline, isn't it? Yeah. Back to your uh, back to your original question. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked, shocked to find gambling going on here. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, there's, you know, there. In today's markets, you know, everyone is trying to get an edge, and right. and you know, companies can try to get that same edge if you know if if they would like. Um, you know, how much it goes on, I don't really know. And the reason is just what Jason said. We that's not something we pay a lot of attention to or even try to do our, our game we play the game differently right we're looking at uh, trying to assess the quality and the longevity of a company um, you know we don't necessarily care about what happens um, in one quarter we care about what happens over the next you know 10 15 quarters investing fools <laughs> there you go. on the other side of the coin there i mean you'll see companies that are pretty notorious for sandbagging right and you know they'll say well we're I'm gonna shocked. we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna make x dollars this quarter and it turns out to be x plus one every single time you know they always just sort of underestimate and you know they under promise and over deliver and i don't know that that's really any better or any worse i mean really it's it's nice to be able to just get some some sort of Good understanding of of the of how management sees the business. I mean, I, yeah. I would focus probably less on the number and more just on you know the drivers of the business and how they see general conditions. Mm. Um, and you know, if you do that, then then you can just sort of you can you can look at these lowered guidance numbers with a little bit more of an entertainment bent than anything else. Nice, <laughs> get a good chuckle out of yeah. it. Uh, great question from Ryan. Well yes, done. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, and if any yep. of you other dozens of listeners have questions, send them our way at radio at fool.com. Uh, let's get back to the headlines. Uh, Starbucks was cut from Goldman's conviction buy list today. The two reasons behind the downgrade were a fear of lower EPS after the craft settlement, as well as U.S. same-store sales slowing down. First and foremost, do either of those factors worry you guys? Me, no. I mean, I, I, you know, when I look at Starbucks, I mean, I did a good bit of digging into this whole craft deal. And at the end of the day, uh, again, you know, when, when we look at these businesses and take a longer term um, approach to it, uh, this was, I think, the right move for Starbucks mm. to separate for themselves from craft early. Uh, there's no question it could affect their earnings per share guidance uh, in the short run. And there's no question that the company has been on fire and really uh, the the same store sales have been turning in record numbers, which has resulted in just a tremendous amount of operating leverage, which has given the company record operating margins um, and record profitability. That's all great stuff. I mean, it's making more cash now than ever before. So when companies are performing that way, it's understandable uh, where maybe expecta- expectations might be ratcheted back a, a little bit. And I mean, to go from conviction 
to justify. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know how you really quantify that or say, well, you should feel this way about it. There's a I, level of applause that, that <laughs> Coleman said. Possibly. Maybe there's a decibel oh. level there that's being taken into consideration. But, you know, again, I mean, I, I sure, there are going to be some short-term headwinds for a company like Starbucks at any given point in time. But by the same token, they sure are doing a lot of things to really make themselves yeah, more things to more people. Yeah, look, just look at look at what Starbucks has been able to do with its brand over the last you know five to seven years. I mean, f- at one point, you know, there were people were all up in arms. Oh, this is you know this coffee company is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They are way more than a coffee company now. <laughs> they they have been able to leverage that. Um, that image that they have into so many different things and their stores continue to get more and more productive as they figure out what people want to buy um, at, at their stores. What you know, Starbucks is an experience. It's not just a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we go there to, um, you know, to grab something. It's not just coffee. I mean, my, my latest drink is the cool lime refresher. Um, <laughs> what is that? It's, it's, it's pretty good. It's actually very good. It's, uh, um, it's a, a lime flavored drink with a little bit of coffee essence, and it's cold. Um, it's wonderful. Sounds awful. Uh, I, you're going to be surprised when because I'm going to buy you one <laughs> okay. the next time we go. Deal. But you know, we go there to get a drink and to have a chat, mm. or or you know, to sit and relax for a little bit. It's more. It's much more than just. You know, go and buy a cup of coffee, and that's exactly what Howard Schultz has been trying to do. And you know, yeah, we can look at at what's happening over a quick, you know, next quarter. Who cares? Think mm. about where this company can be in the next five years. Right. That's where you should be uh, focusing your attention, in our opinion. Well, in the next five years, one of the fears was U.S. same store sales slowing down, but Starbucks, in a lot of ways, is still growing so quickly, and they're yeah. still expanding across the globe. Uh, the question there, though, you mentioned you focused on the experience in mm-hmm. Starbucks. Does that experience translate? Ooh, yeah. that's that's the sixty-four dollar question, isn't exactly. it? Um, yeah, Jason, you want to? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so far, um, I think that the numbers have been looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've seen um, the popularity of the brand in in China. We've had lots of fools come back and say, "Wow, you know, the the stores are." Um, the stores are packed and the coffee is expensive. Um, that's a good combination. <laughs> um, so whether, you know, the key will be, how do you, how do you maintain that? How do you sustain that? Mm. Um, but you know, it's the, the coffee house is, comes from Europe, right? Sure, sure. Um, not an emerging market, but mm. it can show you that there can be difficulties. But I think again, Starbucks has a, does a really good job of understanding what its customers want and delivering delivering that at every location. And I, I think another thing to remember, too, with Starbucks is it's very easy to focus on the coffee shops and thinking, oh, man, the last thing we need is one more Starbucks store. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, they are hitting a saturation point, certainly domestically speaking. But, I mean, I think you also need to look at the, the investments this company is making in its channel development mm. uh, business segment, which is, you know, that's all the consumer packaged goods, the things that go in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, again, this goes back to the, to the relationship with Kraft, but they are moving on beyond that and investing a lot in really getting that name and presence in the stores with not only – your bags of Starbucks coffee. I mean, Seattle's Best is undergoing a new rebranding effort. They're going to be building, uh, you know, hundreds of these new Seattle's Best yep. little drive-through shops that will basically complete. Tezao and Tivana yeah. and, and yeah. La Boulange and, 
And they're taking all of those names, those Tivana, Laboulange, all those names, and they are developing identities where they will not only succeed in the coffee shops, but in the grocery stores as well. So, you know, again, I think Dave keyed in on something there with with Starbucks being an an experience, a lifestyle. I think it's a brand that a lot of people trust. It's going to have its ups and downs. And truthfully, I think that, uh, you know, investors in Starbucks, believers in Starbucks need to root for these kinds of downgrades to bring that price down a little bit because, again, it gives you a chance to add a few more shares to a, a great long-term holding. Right. I don't know what they're talking about with oversaturation, by the way. We've only got two within walking distance <laughs> you know, if I, if I hey, can hold walk. on. There's near bucks and far bucks. Right. One of them you have to walk <laughs> further. <laughs> well, we need neither one is close enough mid-bucks. on a day like That's today. right. That's true. Neither of them I want to stick my I head out that door. And I don't quite have time for a three-minute walk, <laughs> right. but I have more time than 30 seconds. Right. I'd rather amble along somewhere <laughs> in between. Uh, all right. Last but not least, Expedia is down big today on the news that it might have paid for preferential position on Google by paying for links on articles sites. A company by the name of Rap Genius was in the news recently for this, uh, and they lost an incredible amount of traffic when Google caught them, to the point that Google kind of had to give it all back to them. Are we about to see that happen to Expedia? Now, hold on. I'm sorry. I have to interject here. Isn't this the whole purpose of SEO? Right. <laughs> Search engine optimization? <laughs> what, are we, what are we complaining about here? I think <laughs> there's something to that. I mean, you pay for your advertising, right? You pay for placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I mean, there, there's obviously uh, more that will come out in regard to this. And so this, this is all a very preliminary glance. There there may be something where Expedia, uh, maybe maybe what they were doing was something not in line with the the standards right. of, of the business. I think is maybe the best way to put it. Right. Uh, they were paying for preferential placement when they shouldn't have been actually doing what they were doing. But the bottom line is that when you lose visibility on Google, uh, your business is going to suffer because Google is by far and away the hands-down leader in search today. And when yes. you look at a company like Expedia, you know, they it's it's not like it... It's, it's no like price line. No, it's no price line. <laughs> it's really interesting to see the disparities between these two businesses because Priceline has a market cap of somewhere in their neighborhood of, I don't know, eight times the size. Hmm. Uh, but yet their revenue numbers are a little bit closer together. There's not the same disparity there. Uh, but profitability-wise, Priceline is far more profitable. And I think a lot of this goes back to uh, – I think most people here think of Priceline and they think of William Shatner and those goofy commercials <laughs> that they've done such a great job with it's because true. they have just created this immediate Price connection with consumers. Exactly. But I think there is, there is something in the business model that uh, favors – Priceline, because at 85% of Priceline's profitability comes from Bookings.com, which is mm. the hotel side of Bookings. Yeah. Bookings.money. <laughs> they are good at branding. Darn. You know, and I mean, I, when you look at all, just these numbers, I mean, yes. think about like last quarter, Priceline uh, said that their you know, hotel rooms, um, hotel room nights grew about 35% of the same quarter last year. They have somewhere in the neighborhood of 355,000 hotels in that Bookings.com network now. And the way that they the way that they market those ho- the those hotel rooms is a bit different uh, than than the way Expedia does it. And basically what it the bottom line is Expedia can get stuck in a position where they have to liquidate some of these hotel hotel rooms at fire sale prices just to get rid of that inventory whereas uh Priceline utilizes an agency model. It's, it's far more profitable. And what we've what we've seen here is a company that has just overtaken this travel industry. And so when something like this happens for Expedia, it, it can be very debilitating because it is already fighting a really a really uh, you know tremendous uphill battle here against Priceline. I just don't know that they have what it takes to really 
do much other than just play for second. Absolutely. Something to watch for. All right, Jason Moser, Dave Meyer. Guys, stay warm out there. You too. Will do. Uh, as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Annie Henry. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>